So how would you describe today's podcast? What would you say? Uh, some would say it was a bit of a downer. Um, however, I think, you know, we we talk about this sort of later in the podcast that, you know, there's certain days where really important things happen. You need to know there's a sense of urgency to make sure you get this information. And so, certain days we get to screw off. Today yeah. was not one of those days. Tomorrow's screw off. But yeah. the, today, you know, I want to ask you... Um, when you first walked in, I said, Stu, I've never seen a news day with so many stories that tell you exactly what's coming. That's terrifying. I mean, you've been doing this for a very long time. Right. And but did I overstate that to you? I mean, I think, the, no, I think it's the construction of it, right? Right. You know, it's all these things that kind of fit together and paint a picture that, you know, is definitely scary, but also something you should be prepared you for. You have to be prepared right. for it. Because if you're prepared for it, then you don't have to worry about it. You can just you can just go on. Um, you know, I, I describe today's podcast as our daily podcasts will look at a an ailment. You know, you come into the doctor and you're like, Oh, my foot hurts. And so we'll do x-rays and then we'll talk about that. And then you come in and you're like, man, my leg really hurts. Uh, okay. My my neck is really bad. At some point, you got to put all of the information together of all of the symptoms and then say, no, it's actually not your foot, your leg, or your neck. It, it is your spinal column. Um, whatever it is. You have to look at all of it together, and usually we'll just show you one x-ray. Today, I'm going to show you all the x-rays, and you'll be able to pinpoint exactly where we are and what is coming so you can be better prepared. That is today's podcast. Really important one. By the way, we talk about we have a 30% shortage of medicine right now. The uh, There was testimony given, a new study done, testimony given to the Senate yesterday that... Uh, it is to national security proportions. 30% of inexpensive medicine shortage. Okay, what does that mean? Well, that means if we continue down this path, you know, you're talking about real problems with medicine. We're not making anything here. Um, we, we're having all kinds of problems with the supply chains. Look, May I suggest our sponsor can help you with this. Sponsor of today's podcast is Jace Medical. Jace Medical has made the Jace case, all right? And it will give you five different antibiotics. We're short antibiotics. Um, if you can't get antibiotics, it's like living in 1840. You know, uh, you, you cut your finger and you can die. You got to have some antibiotics. Way to have some in your home so you're prepared or even when you're just on vacation, you don't have to go to a doctor right away. You can get it from Jace Medical. Highly recommend the Jace case. Please look into this and get some antibiotics into your home in case of an emergency. Jace, J-A-S-E medical.com. Jace medical.com. Make sure you use the promo code Beck and save. To the best of the Glenn Beck program. All right, I I, um, I ask you if you cannot listen to the entire radio program today, um, do your best uh, and go and get the podcast today after the show. It'll be posted. 
and listen to the podcast. Also, today is a day that you really should have my morning show prep. It goes out every morning. If you sign up for it now, I will ask the team to make sure that they maybe resend this show prep today uh, again tomorrow because it's already in people's email boxes. It is it is so critical today's show prep really if I spent about 90 minutes, I just did a, a video that I think they're putting up on Twitter and everything. I don't think I've ever done that either um, where I come in and everything is dark in the studio and it's just me and the computer and I see the show prep and I arrange it and I got on uh, and recorded something saying, look, if you get the show prep, this is the way you need to read it. It is clear where we are headed. Make no mistake. Do not be deceived. Do not be distracted. Let me start uh, here. Hunter Biden. The Hunter Biden story, it is critical now that we do not play games of he said, she said, or it doesn't matter or any of this. Listen to this, because if this is allowed to go on, uh, we do not survive as a nation. We become Russia. I don't know any Democrat that wants us to become like Russia. I don't know anybody. Well, maybe George Soros. I'm not sure. Listen to this. Hunter Biden had an FBI mole named One Eye who tipped off his Chinese business partners that they were under investigation, according to an Israeli energy expert arrested in Cyprus last month on gun running charges. Why should we listen to him? The story goes on. The House Oversight Committee is investigating the explosive claims by Dr. Gal Luft, a former Israel Defense Forces lieutenant colonel with deep intelligence ties to Washington and Beijing, who says he was arrested to stop him from revealing what he knows about the Biden family and FBI corruption. Details he told the Department of Justice in 2019, which he says were ignored. Luft, 56, made the claims February 18th on Twitter after being detained at a Cyprus airport as he prepared to board a plane to Israel. He said, quote, I've been arrested in Cyprus on a politically motivated extradition request by the U.S. The U.S. is claiming that I'm an arms dealer. It would be funny if it weren't so tragic. I've never been an arms dealer. DOJ is trying to bury me to protect Joe, Jim, and Hunter Biden. Shall I name names? All right. So he is waiting extradition. He is in jail. He says, I, I, I'm not a drug, I mean, a, a gun trafficker. Um. Through his American lawyer, Robert Hennick, Luff said he tried four years ago to inform the DOJ that Chinese state control energy company, CEFC, had paid $100,000 a month to President Biden's son, Hunter, and $65,000 to Joe Bro Joe's brother, Jim, in exchange for their FBI connections and the use of the Biden name to promote China's Belt and Road Initiative all around the world. 
This fits with exactly the other information we gave you last night. By the way, if you sign up for the newsletter tonight, you'll get all of the transcript. You'll get all of the show prep for last night's program where we were showing you what's real, what what the left is really afraid of and what Biden is doing to distract you. This this Bill O'Reilly said, and he'll say it tomorrow, I'm sure, on the radio program. This Trump thing is never going to trial. It'll never have a jury. It will never go there. It's it's ridiculous, ridiculous. Hillary Clinton paid a fine for the same thing she did, except what she did was the Crossfire Hurricane dossier, which caused us to spend millions of dollars, three years or four years of lies on the media. It's probably the most impactful thing any politician has ever done to thwart the truth. She paid a fine. It was a misdemeanor. And you're going to go after Trump? No, they want you to not see this. And by the way, if they do arrest him, then they'll turn this whole thing around and say, this Hunter Biden thing is only about us arresting Donald Trump. We knew that guy was dirty. We arrested him. And now they're bringing this up and trying us as revenge. Mark my words. Okay. So his American lawyer, back to the guy, the Israeli guy, um, his uh, his lawyer said he tried four years ago to inform the DOJ that Chinese state controlled energy company CEFC had paid one hundred thousand dollars a month to President Biden's son, Hunter, 65 for his FBI connections. Luff learned about the scheme through his own relationship with Hunter's Chinese business partners, Patrick Ho and Yi Jiang Ming, the chairman of CEFC. Any of those, Patrick Ho, does that name ring a bell? Do you remember why that I don't rings remember a bell? why, but it does okay. ring a bell. You'll remember it in a second. From 2015-2018, Luff organized international energy conferences in partnership with Ho's think tank, the nonprofit China Energy Fund Committee, a front organization for Yi's CEFC, which is the Communist Party energy. Yi confided to Luff, that Hunter had an informant in the FBI, quote, or formerly of the Bureau, extremely well-placed, who they had paid lots of money to to provide sealed law enforcement information, end quote. The FBI mole was called One-Eye. Now, I'm a little uncomfortable with the nickname One-Eye when we are discussing anything with Hunter Biden, but... (laughs) I digress. I don't know if that's necessary. One Eye told Yi, you'll never be able to hear this again with a straight face. (laughs) One Eye told Yi that the Southern District of New York was investigating him and or Ho in late 2017. And Ho is part of the story, too? Yes, it is. Okay, now I I can't. Now I've lost all focus. I know. know. Um, The Southern District of New York, this One Eye told that an Asian, an African, and a Jewish guy were named on a sealed indictment. Soon after the tip-off, Yi offered Hunter a million dollars to be his private counsel. Do you remember what happened? Isn't he the guy that uh, met 
in, I think, a lobby in a hotel, maybe in Florida, remember? And there was an exchange of things, and he was like, hey, I just want you to, you have lawyer friends that can represent me, remember? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then he was busted. Okay, so he offered Hunter a million dollars to be his private counsel uh, and flew to China, leaving his wife, daughter, son, mother, and nanny in his $50 million penthouse at 15 Central Park West. He was detained in Shanghai for three months. Then he disappeared. Before he left New York, Yi told Ho that the coast was clear for him to come back to the U.S. On November 18th, Ho flew into JFK, where he was arrested, remember, by FBI agents on bribery and money laundering charges. Ho was a patsy, says the Israeli guy. He was the fall guy. Ho was convicted in December 2018 without calling a single witness. He served three years in jail and was deported. Prosecutors placed the spotlight in his case on China's use of the foreign bribery to win contracts for its Belt and Road Initiative. Hunter was paid $1 million by CEFC to represent Ho, which entailed contacting his FBI sources on Ho's behalf and engaging another attorney to do all the legal work, according to emails, on Hunter Biden's laptop. CEFC paid a further $4.9 million to Hunter and Jim Biden in monthly installments for 14 months from August 2017, government records show. Government records show. The House Oversight Committee released bank statements last week, additional $1.1 million funneled from Chinese company affiliated with CEFC, uh, went to Hunter, Jim, uh, Haley, and, uh, and, and another Biden that we don't know who it is. <laughs> um, anyway, Luff claims he contacted the DOJ after Ho was jailed and federal investigators flew to Brussels to interview him for more than 18 hours. But he never heard from them again. And less than four weeks later, Joe Biden announced he was running for president. The DOJ had this information March 2019 and did nothing. Congress has the Biden bank records, but it doesn't know the reason for the payments. Now it does. Okay. The corruption around the Bidens. This isn't. This isn't just bribery. So, you know, CEFC, this is an energy company. They are not only doing the Belt and Road Initiative, which is bad enough in itself. The Belt and Road Initiative is is basically the Chinese plan to take over the world and all of its technology. Okay, that's why we banned uh, Huawei, because it was part of their Belt and Road Initiative and Huawei technology was gathering information. So we are dead set against the Belt and Road Initiative. So CFC, they're paying them to help the Belt and Road Initiative, but also their cover, and maybe this is true as well, their cover is that 
that uh, the subsidiary of this that was paying them the million or actually total of three million dollars. That was for green energy. Now, let me ask you, has there been a president that is more green energy than this guy? Have you seen that all car companies are discontinuing gasoline engines? All of them. Where are all the charging stations? Where is all of the wiring to be able to carry that amount of electricity to all our new kind of gas stations? They don't exist. Where is the new energy that is going to replace all of the gasoline? It doesn't exist. We are intentionally being crippled and they're kicking the door behind us. They're closing it. There's no way out of that. We now know in our Inflation Reduction Act, they are paying billions of dollars to energy companies who have coal fire plants to close them down now. They will pay them 100% of their profit for the next 10 years if they will close down their coal fire plant and they only get the money when they either sell it for scrap, dismantle it, or get rid of it. Then you get your money. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Now, is it possible? I don't think this is, this is it. But you already have a family, the president of the United States, getting money from our enemy, the Chinese Communist Party. For what is it? Information from the FBI? Or is it, hey, we'll get you some kickbacks here on green energy. You're going to be really, really good on green energy, right? Or, or what? What is all this money going for? This is important, America. This is not just... Hey, so I, you know, gave a guy a favor for the local golf course to be built. That's not what this is. This is dealing with our enemies. Joe Biden is also sending our hundred billion dollars, our hundred and twenty five billion dollars to a guy in Ukraine named Kolomoisky. If you watch my program or you follow me on radio and you remember what we did on Ukraine three years ago, who's Kolomoisky? Kolomoisky is the guy who had Privat Bank and Burisma. He's the guy that Joe Biden handed $8 billion of our money to put it in Privat Bank. What happened to it? No one knows. It just disappeared. So Joe Biden goes back to that guy and makes him the guy that is overseeing $125 billion. America, this is just what this is just the first story. I've got about 20 of I don't think I'm going to be able to get to all of them today. You've got to you've got to get the show prep and read it in order. 
This is extraordinarily dangerous. Just this one. But there is so much more. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. I know you mentioned potentially sending out today's prep tomorrow, and I don't think people are going to want to wait that long after hearing all of this. They probably want to read it all earlier than that. Is it, I mean, or I guess we so could send like a link to tomorrow morning. Why don't, to we, yesterday. Do, why don't we do both? Producers, if you're listening, I want to do both. Um, I want you to sign up for the free email newsletter today. Um, this is critical information, and I'll explain it in just a second. Um, and I want you to, I want you to read it and see how I've stacked it. Um, and you can see that online right now, but I, I want to send this out. Maybe we'll send this out like tonight. We'll send it out this evening. Okay. Around dinner time. Uh, and that way you can look at all of them and share them with your family or anybody that wants to read them, but read them all tonight. And then we'll also put in a link in tomorrow's show prep so for, yeah you'll okay. Get it, okay okay and how do people sign up you just go to glenbeck.com glenbeck.com sign up for the free email newsletter um you get all of the information by the way as well at glenbeck.com on last night's episode which outlined the hunter biden uh case and what what they're really afraid of um uh, but there's new information in today's show prep that just came out, and we missed it last night because it hadn't been released yet. That is it's staggering, staggering. Okay, so we've told you now about uh, what the government is actually doing with the Justice Department, uh, you know, FBI, what all of these things are are pushing us toward. We told you a little bit today about the all the cars that are coming out. Last of the line, meaning no more gasoline engines. That is going, that's kicking the door behind us closed. There's no going back from this. And yet we don't have the energy. We don't have the transmission lines for the energy that it will need. We'll need to have very soon. Okay. We told you a little bit about that. Told you what's coming in censoring you and monitoring you. They, I, I, I want to explain today's show as most days we will and most hosts will do this. They are they're a doctor and you're seeing a symptom in the society. And so you'll take as the doctor as in my role, I take and I show you that X-ray. And I say, look at this symptom. Look at what's happening in our body. This is really bad. Okay. And then I put that x-ray down and I say, wow, look at this infection. This is horrible. And we diagnose that symptom and we put it down. Today, I'm showing you all of the facts of all of these symptoms so you could diagnose what's happening. Forget about all of the symptoms. Let's look at all of them together. Is there a clear case for what is happening to the body of our country? Yes, there is. And unfortunately, I don't give it a long life. 
You have six to 12 months to live as a republic. And it's going to take one bad cold to bring it down. I just told you about the financial situation. Let me give you two other stories. This one you won't hear anywhere else. But tie this to all of the financial stories of what China and Russia is doing with gold and what they're doing to replace the dollar. Listen to this one. As part of a new payment system launched last year, Indonesian President Joko Widodo called on Wednesday for his countrymen to abandon the use of foreign payment networks like MasterCard and Visa and to adopt credit cards from domestic banks. He said everyone in Indonesia should be able to use Indonesian manufactured credit cards so we can be independent in case of a geopolitical disruption that could economically affect our country. So you want to talk about a run on the banks. Now you have Indonesia. Hmm, I think, I mean, it's not a great country, but I think it was an ally just a few years ago. Indonesia now saying, don't do anything with American credit cards because there might be a disruption and we don't want to catch contagion. So they are isolating themselves from our banking system. Be very careful, he said. We must remember the sanctions imposed by the U.S. on Russia. Visa and MasterCard could soon become a problem. Perfect. Perfect. Ted Cruz, yesterday. Full support, Ted. What do you need? Ted Cruz introduces a bill blocking the Fed from adopting central bank digital currency. This is critical. This is the door to the cage, the key, the locks, the razor wire around that jail cell. Okay? If they get digital currency that is run by the Fed, your security, your freedom is over. That is not hyperbole. It will control what you can buy, where you can buy it. It tracks every single dime and it's programmable. So it can be different for different people. You might be able to buy gas, but I'm not deemed somebody that needs gas. So I can't buy gas. It's extraordinarily dangerous. The Senate and the House need to pass a bill with with a veto override that stops the Federal Reserve from doing this. Now, how hard is that going to be? Let me give you two more stories. Securities and Exchange Commission issued crypto exchange Coinbase a Wells notice. What's a Wells notice? Well, I believe somebody that was just being uh, confirmed for our federal court system couldn't identify what a Wells notice was. Probably something important. It's a warning that companies get that identify potential violations of U.S. securities law. Coinbase shares fell nearly 12% in extended trading after the news broke on Wednesday, adding an 8.16% drop during regular trading hours. 
Based on discussions with the staff, the company believes these potential enforcement actions would relate to aspects of the company's spot market, staking service, uh, Coinbase Earn, Coinbase Prime, and Coinbase Wallet. Coinbase said in a regulatory filing, the potential civil action may seek injunction relief, disgorgement, and civil penalties. Now, here's the problem. What have they done wrong? This is the question that Coinbase has been asking the SEC for months. Here's their response. Today, we're disappointed to share that the SEC gave us a Wells notice regarding an unspecified portion of our listed digital assets. Our staking service, Coinbase Earn, Coinbase Prime and Coinbase Wallet, after a cursory investigation, a Wells notice is a way the FCC, uh, F, sorry, SEC staff tells a company that they are recommending that the SEC take enforcement action for possible violations. It is not a formal charge or lawsuit, but it can lead to one. Rest assured, Coinbase products and services continue to operate as usual. Today's news do not require any changes to our current products or services. What are they doing? They're saying, please don't run on us. Today's Wells notice does not provide a lot of information for us to respond to. The SEC staff told us they had identified potential violations of security laws, but little more. We asked the SEC specifically to identify which assets on our platform they believe may be securities, but they declined to do so. Today's Wells notice also comes after Coinbase provided multiple proposals to the SEC about registration over the course of months, all of which the SEC ultimately refused to respond to. Although we don't take this development lightly, we're confident in the way we run our business, the same business we presented to the SEC in order for us to become a public company in 2021. Look. Here's what the government is doing. They just last week shut down the two biggest uh, digital currency banks, both of which, both of which, the first one they shut down said they're talking to us about regulation and everything else. We can't we can't do business under the kind of onerous regulation. So they regulated one bank out of business. Then the next one. They said, no, we're we're fine. And the government stepped in and said, you're not fine. We're taking over and shut it down. Now, today, they're coming after Coinbase and Coinbase. You have to read this letter from Coinbase. Coinbase is saying we have asked them. They have been in our offices and we're like, let us fix anything that you want. Just tell us. How we're supposed to operate and we will and they won't. The, the law is not being enforced here because you don't know what the law is because they can make it up. But worse than that, worse than that, they can smear you and send you a Wells notice. You're saying, I don't know what am I doing wrong and that smear will let that people know, oh, the federal government is going to shut them down. And so everybody vacates. They're closing 
your exits up. And they're not doing it legally. They're not doing it in the American way. By the way, I want to just give you one more piece of information. I gave it to you last hour, but in case you don't get back to the podcast today, please do try to get the podcast. But listen to this. There is a 30% shortage right now. It is being called a national security threat. You're not hearing about it anywhere because they're all too damn busy with the distraction of, is Donald Trump, well, is he guilty or not guilty? Are you kidding me? This is a misdemeanor. Why is this out? Because they don't want you looking at I lived in New York. They start closing bridges. You better get the hell out of there. Well, they're closing all the bridges, gang. And they're telling you to look at Times Square at this outrageous billboard. 30%, 30% shortages at hospitals now of really important and inexpensive drugs. We don't make them here anymore. There's already a 30% shortage on drugs. We are turning into Cuba or Venezuela. Now, you know what happened when, when Hugo Chavez died and the bus driver takes over and it becomes a, a kleptocracy where you just have villains running it who are just gorging themselves on the, the wealth of the nation and screw everybody else. They ate the zoo animals. They had no medicine. They're begging us to send Band-Aids. If you have a family member in Venezuela, you know. You sent them the basic of basics. Don't think it can't happen here. Because that's exactly where we're headed. And uh, the only thing that will save us is God. The only thing that will save us is turning back to God and asking for his forgiveness and asking him to grant you peace and serenity and take your anger from you. Humble yourself and focus on kindness because we're going to need to hold each other up. And I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care how smeared you are. All hands on deck. There is something called forgiveness and redemption. Grab on to it. Because we need you in a lifeboat. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Tiller Russell is uh, with us. Uh, he is the director of Waco American Apocalypse. Hey, Tiller, how are you, man? Good morning, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Um, you know, are, are you concerned at all? I guess just got to start with this. Uh, are you concerned at all that in today's environment, an anniversary of Waco is uh, could be used politically a hundred different ways? And I don't think any of them real good. 
You know, it is a it's a it's a big consideration, and it's something that we thought about while making it. And at the, at the I think at the end of the day, what we felt like is this story's been told for sort of political purposes so much, beginning on day one as it was breaking on national television and on the newspapers every day. And we wanted to approach it from more of a I guess a humanist perspective, right. where you talk to the and you find out what it's really like to live through something like this. So tell me about the, the young girl. She, I think, was nine years old. And she was, she was in there when, you know, the whole thing was set on fire, a nightmare. Tell me her story. Yeah, her story's pretty amazing. She was, you know, born and raised into the Branch Davidian um, sect, and her parents were both members of it. And Hang, hang really on, can you, wait, wait, can you just... What is the Branch Divinity? What is it that they believed? Well, basically what it is, is it's an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist religion that David Koresh ended up coming in and kind of, you know, taking power of. And he had this prophecy that the end of the world was coming and that he was going to lead his flock through this, you know, Armageddon-like battle with the powers of Babylon, also known as the federal government, and that he would kind of lead them on to the afterlife. And so that was this vision that he conjured and told the people that, you know, that followed him. Okay. All right. So her parents were involved. She's born into it. What happened? Born into it. And at a young age, you know, David, David Koresh's prophecy kind of continued to evolve. And what he said at a certain point was that he was going to dissolve all the marriages of the members, um, you know, that were following him. And that then he would be able to take as spiritual wives, essentially, you know, have sex with all the women and be the only one who was able to do so. And when that happened, this uh, young woman's mother, her name's Heather Jones, and her mother said, I'm out, I'm not doing this, and left. And and her father stayed and she stayed. And so wait, 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 wait. Mom left the daughter behind. Yeah. I, you know, I think it was incredibly challenging circumstances. Okay. And I think she was kind of intimidated and, okay. and uh, you know, broken hearted. You know, right. OK. OK. Her daughter. All right. But, you know, her daughter ended up, you know, stuck there in that. And so, um, you know, and David Koresh was her uncle, actually. And oh, so. She it grew up in this scenario, and she was actually the last child to make it out of the compound alive. Jeez. And it was an incredibly powerful and emotional experience uh, hearing her tell her story. I just, uh, I just, I, I collect uh, American history, and um, I just bought a a piece from the Titanic. It is uh, from a sixteen year old girl. She was on the Titanic, and she tells this harrowing story. In fact, you see it in the movie Titanic. But she said, um, I didn't speak for three months after this. She lost her dad. She was the only survivor um, in her family. And uh, it just devastated her to the point she couldn't speak for three months. How is she doing now? How is the survivor of David Koresh and Waco Well, it was, um, you know, I think anybody that lives through something like this, whether it's the Titanic or whether it's, you know, Waco or whether it's the depredations of the Night Stalker in Los Angeles, you know, which was that story we told before. And it's always one of these things where you have to, I think, very sensitively talk to the people because you're asking them to talk about the most 
dramatic, intense moments of their lives. And um, they need to feel like they're in a place where they can really tell the truth about it for the first time and tell it to the world. I, I, so, I hear this took 10 hours to do an interview with her. Yeah, I do. I do these exhaustive interviews. I think it wears down everybody around me, but it takes a long time to get to the point where people feel comfortable enough to really tell you about, you know, that the intensity of, of, of that experience and what it's like to live through it. And for this young woman, you know, it was every it was burned into her consciousness she could little literally remember every moment and and so it was like almost hearing somebody playing the movie in their mind of their life it was really a powerful experience so um by the way she's what 39 now 30th anniversary she was that's, nine that's, that's that's exactly right um the um you know you look at um waco and it it's you know, it's it's hard to talk about because, you know, I, I don't know, except for maybe the innocent children and some of some of the people in there, you know, there, there wasn't really a good guy on either side. Um, and I think some of the people involved with the uh, Branch Davidians were good guys and didn't want it to go that way. And I think some of the FBI agents were like, what, what are we doing? We th- this is not good. But it just was something that just seemed to spiral out of control. Waco is one of those stories where everybody lost and everybody is haunted by it. And what was so surprising to me when you actually have a chance to sit down with everybody is they're all just human beings. I mean, we think of the FBI or we think of the ATF as these big institutions that are, you know, monolithic and uh, know exactly what they're doing or, or you know, know ex- don't know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, but really, it's composed of individuals, right? It's individual human beings in impossible circumstances trying to make the best call that they can. And in this case, it was an absolute national disaster. And I think all of us are haunted by the specter of Waco. And as you started, Glenn, like it's really important to have this reckoning with these iconic moments in American history on the anniversaries so that you don't have the same tragedies again. So what is it we're supposed to learn? I think that it's that it is human beings at the center of it. At the end of the day, it's easy to sit there and point fingers and say, okay, the ATF screwed this up. Okay, the FBI screwed this up. And unquestionably, there were all sorts of missteps and failures. But at the end of the day, really, it is human beings who are trying to do the best that they can. So for me, it's an exploration of the human condition, what it's like to be alive, what it's like to die, what it's like to have to make these vital decisions when there's tanks surrounding a compound all the um you know movie camera tv cameras are there and and what do you do it's it was uncharted territory for everybody it it is seem in my memory at least it seems like uh kind of what we're doing right now with russia the american people are going this isn't good and i i don't agree with russia but i I think the people should be free, but they're not all the good people over there. And and it just keeps going and getting escalated by either Russia or by us and keeps getting bigger and bigger. And we're all kind of sitting there going, well, there's got to be an exit here. Can somebody take an exit? And and then nobody does. But I, I remember watching it going, why? Why? What's the why? Why aren't we just sitting down and talking about this? Why is this getting so far out of control? I mean, it went for what, 50 days? 
51 days. It's like watching a slow motion car crash. It was. You can see, you know, everybody's about to go flying through the windows and there's about to be blood in the streets. And nobody knew what to do because nobody had ever been in a situation before, just like we are seeing with Russia today. So it's and and I think history is at its most relevant. You know, you're a huge history buff. And I think history is at its most relevant and resonant when in some way it speaks about what's happening in the world today. And I think this Waco story really does. You know, it's a story about God and guns in America and what that does to our children. And wait, 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 wait. Explain that. What does that mean? Well, I mean, these are questions that have been with us from the, the founding of this country, right? The right to, to worship God the way you want, the right to, you know, the constitutional right to bear arms. But at the center of Waco, what you have is all of these children whose lives are literally in the hands of all of the adults around them. And there's a complete failure to communicate by all of the adults. And I think that's really the, the you know, the burning lesson at the heart of Waco is you have to speak to each other. And at Waco, nobody could hear anybody else. The FBI, you know, members of the FBI or different factions are fighting with each other. And the Branch Davidians can't communicate with the press. The press doesn't understand what the hell is going on. And it's it's this failure to communicate, which I think is is you know, a vital thing that's happening in the world today, too. You know, everybody's kind of screaming and nobody's listening. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if it's a communication problem as much as it is a listening problem. You know, I've, I've yeah, I, I, I mean, I see, you know, the press or, you know, even me at times, whatever. Um, but I see people approach something and they think they know what's going on. And if you're not humble enough to be willing to change your opinion when you find different facts, and a lot of people aren't on all sides of every issue, um, you're not listening and there's no way out if you're not listening. Uh, that, I think that's absolutely beautifully put. You know, th- it does require this humility where all of us have strongly held opinions, whatever your politics are, whatever your background is. And the ability for one human being to listen to another is what gives us a functioning civil society. And I think that's what we need to remember because everybody's temperature is running really hot these days. So we are, we're telling a, a story um, for uh, Waco as well, uh, not nearly as well as you're doing it with um, American Apocalypse. By the way, you can see it at Netflix. Really good. I haven't watched it yet, but my staff has. Really good. I'm watching it this weekend. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we talked to somebody in the Branch Davidians, and they said, well, we won't really talk to you unless you will you know, let us say our piece unedited and we listen to their piece and it doesn't seem any healthier. It's, it's funny because my experience of this story, I had all of these preconceived notions about what I was going to contend with. And really, I kept being surprised. You know, there's this sniper from the hostage rescue team, this guy, Chris Whitcomb, who tells the story of what it's like to roll into Waco, uh, you know, armed for bear. And at some point in there, he's got David Koresh literally in his crosshairs. And he realizes, okay, if I pull the trigger right now. I'm going to go to prison for the rest of my life for an unauthorized murder, but this will end the standoff. And what was so interesting about this guy was I kind of expected this, you know, door kicking, knuckle-packing 
you know, whatever. And instead, here was this really deeply thoughtful guy who was a writer and he was a poet and he had actually Mm -hmm. deeply engaged with David Koresh's theology during the siege to say, like, is there anything there? Is this real or is this just a hustle? And so again and again and again, these people were much more complicated than I thought they would be. And that's, to me, what made it, you know, a fascinating exploration of the human condition. Tiller, thank you so much. Um, you are uh, you are quite the director. Um, we've been watching um, you for a while, and you're, you're really a good, great director. Thank you so much for telling the story in a sensitive and uh, and balanced and honest way. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Glenn. You bet, Tiller Russell. Uh, you can find Waco: The American Apocalypse netflix.com netflix.com it was released uh yesterday he's also one of the executive producers of the program na, na, na.